name is Jachmike, that is J-A-C-H-I-M-I-K-E, and this is the Nigerian History Podcast. understand the history of any society we really must attempt to understand the origins right and the origins of any society and the origins of nigerian society is really a combination of many different tribes many different cultures many different origins and so what we can actually use to determine um this 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 ancient shall we say history is not really written history so most of us are used to reading articles or accounts by historians right but one of the problems with finding data from ancient periods like this is that all we have is archaeology so the archaeological evidence is really what we have and the the evidence puts habitation of what is now known as modern-day Nigeria at several thousand years and um, like all ancient societies many of these societies in Nigeria were really more like small clusters though they were they were tiny groups of people maybe 20 100 but more tiny people right and because of this they were largely decentralized and quite egalitarian so there wasn't really any concept of a centralized leadership structure as we have it now maybe a monarchy an egalitarian um, an oligarchy whatever and we'll discuss that later but the the oldest evidence of human remains we have in nigeria is dated at about 9000 bce and that is including the common era time is about 11,000 years before the present day and these remains were found in Iwo Eleru Rock Shelter, which is in what we now call southwestern Nigeria or Yoruba land. And um, this period of history in sub-Saharan Africa is generally characterized by the immense migration due to the dying of the Sahara. And I feel like at this point it's important to stop and note because at this point in history, before the death of the Sahara, the Sahara was really a, a blossoming paradise. There were all kinds of animals there. There, were, there was life there in terms of plants. Think about the Amazon, right? But changes in the Earth's axis caused massive amounts of deforestation in, in that region. And these, these amounts of deforestation caused people to move either towards the sub-Saharan area or towards the banks of the Nile where vegetative life and animals by extension still lived and were sustained by the river and this habit of humans to live close to rivers and large bodies of water is a distinctive feature of human society and it is really present everywhere from ancient China to southeastern Nigeria. 
which also really explains why many people from Greek philosophers to Chinese philosophers to ancient African religions consider water to be the an important facet of life. So see how Jesus says, I am the eternal water, right? I'm the eternal spring. Thales of Miletus, in the same manner, say, believed that water was the fundamental building block of existence. Water really does, to us, mean life. And this might sound hilarious, Thales believing that water is a fundamental building block of existence. To modern humans who are quite conversant with the atom, electrons, and so on. But we must remember that many of these beliefs existed in a period where... They really existed in a period where modern science did not exist and it's, it is really a testament to the innate curiosity of human beings, right? And so this period is called the Late Stone Age period. It is really during this period that people living in the greater Nigeria area began to use stone tools. And tools are very important in human history because tools are really where you move from basic survival to thriving in a sense, right? You can use tools to create things. You can use tools to hunt, to hunt better than you were hunting before. And so I feel like I must define what Greater Nigeria is here. So Greater Nigeria here refers to Nigeria as it's presently constituted and then the nearby surrounding areas. So like the areas around Lake Chad, Cameroon and so on and so forth. So we must keep that in mind when I use the, the phrase Greater Nigeria. Um, so tools are important because it is because of tools that led to the creation of things like pottery. Right, so by 3000 BCE, you can see evidence of pottery, archaeological evidence, and ultimately this leads to agriculture. Now, I, I, this is important, <laughs> right? Agriculture is especially important because it is really a precursor for for permanent societies. Prior to agriculture, human beings tended to, to go from place to place in search of food. Right, food was really um, not static you couldn't we couldn't create our own food before agriculture so we would have to if we finish if we find an area with decent amounts of amounts of food we would we wouldn't till the land we would harvest the food and then if something happened say for example the sahara right the sahara dying we would have to move from that area but agriculture is, is an important thing because we were similar to our animal cousins in this way. Our animal cousins, unlike us, lacked the capacity to understand how vegetation worked. And in addition to that, because they didn't understand, because they could not understand that, they also lacked the ability to use vegetation or to farm. But we had both those abilities, right? We had we, we understood both those things. We just didn't know it yet. So by the time we did know it, so by discovering this, right? By discovering how to perform agriculture, human beings in this region began to stay in one place. So they began to stick in one place. And this meant that these small decentralized groups of human beings 
began to form civilization right and civilizations here no longer refer to these tiny societies but larger groups larger bodies of people and archaeological evidence helps us to understand how our how our ancestors lived all those thousands of years ago and what they went through in their quest for survival in the battle against the elements so Tosinfalola, a Nigerian historian, tells us Afiku, in the southeastern part of the Nigerian of the greater Nigerian area, has three delineated phases of development. So the first phase, dating to before about 3000 BCE, has yielded a few microlithic tools, while the second phase exhibits evidence of flaked axes and some stone pottery dating from about 3000 and 500 BCE. So you can see the time period is compressing. The final phase, commencing in, in roughly 100 BCE, has been characterized by different types of ceramics from those of the second phase. And the change to different kinds of tools such as axes and adzes between the first and second phases has been used as evidence of a switch to agricultural activity. And the discovery of pottery used as its storage capacity seems to confirm this theory. In the Lake Chad region of the Sahel, located in the northeastern corner of the Greater Nigerian area, archaeological evidence from Daima and Kusksakata has shown the presence of domesticated animals, particularly sheep, goats and cattle, from the second millennium BCE. Archaeologists believe that animal husbandry probably reached this region across the Sahara from the east and north between 3000 and 2000 BC. Remains of horses which were also brought from North Africa have been found in archaeological sites in the Savannah and the Sahel dating to roughly the first century BCE. Agricultural activity in the Sahel and Savannah region probably began sometime in the second millennium BCE and involved many cereal crops such as African rice and millet, while agriculturists in the forest and middle belt regions relied most heavily on yam tubers and oil palm products. And that last line is interesting right because you, we all know how important yam is and palm oil is in the south. And so this, this description is giving you why right it is i'm telling you the evidence is telling us why these things are so important in southeastern or southern or southern culture right um so so as you can see the human settlements were really developing at similar rates in similar periods at in different areas so this obviously leads to questions of if these different civilizations interacted at all during their growth period so you can see there's growth in the southeast there's growth in the south south there's growth in the southwest there's growth in the northeast and so so there are questions arise of are these groups interacting and as we as we go along we might discover answers to these questions i'm not promising that we will but answers will come up as we go along and so obviously as human societies became largely less decentralized the necessity for organization became more important. People that study leadership structures will find this particularly interesting. 
right, leadership is important for structure. In small groups, there is no real need for leadership, right, because communication and decision making are easier. People can identify their strengths and the group can then work with everyone's strengths. So, for example, a physically strong person, the group can help with hunting and defending. A person that is good with um, thinking and strategy can organize attacks, hunting, hunting patterns and so on and so forth. But there is no real need to vest all these powers into one person or one group because the group is already small, right? So in this way, these groups could be said to be somewhat democratic. The sense that in function, because even though it's not necessarily the same democracy we know now, it's, it is in the sense that people's opinions would essentially count. People could just say what they thought and it would actually legitimately be considered as part of the process. And so it became increasingly important to have organized systems of social political structures because as, as these groups got larger, you, we couldn't, they couldn't stick to that pattern. They couldn't, they couldn't stay decentralized. And so the, the oldest civilization we have is the Nok civilization. It might not be the oldest we have, but it's the oldest we have evidence for. And much of ancient Nigerian archaeological technology or evidence shows us that our ancestors really had proper skill in metallurgy. Um, as, we, as I'm sure everyone knows the Nok culture and what they're famous for, but I'm going to repeat that as well. The terracotta, the terracotta sculptures are the most famous facet of the Nok culture. Right. At Taruga, which is near Abuja in the Middle Belt region, we can find proof of not just iron usage and technology, but of iron smelting, which really indicates proper knowledge of iron production. There wasn't much evidence in this period, so we really have no idea whether this knowledge of iron tech was developed independently or through trade and migration. And so I'm sure there, there are questions here that are arising like, where did they get it from? Who did they interact with? Did they just sit down and discover it themselves? Honestly, we have no idea. Well, all we know is that our people, our ancestors had skills, right? And so considering what we said before, that many civilizations come as a result of people, different areas coming into settle into one area where agriculture is, right? Migration as the source of these things is really not wide off the mark, but regardless, it is quite impressive. And it's because it's impressive, not because it's found in one area, but many areas, largely the Middle Belt region, like in Tadunwada, Kuchamfa, Jemamaitumbi, and so on, were smelting iron as far back as 900 BCE, right? So if you go through history, many European societies went through a bronze period before they hit the iron period. But the evidence suggests that Nigerian societies really didn't do that. We really skipped the Bronze Age period and jumped straight to the Iron period. We have no idea why, right? But it's interesting to note. And so, but what is really important to note here, because now we are going to delve into the structure of the societies, 
is that the level of skill that, are, that is displayed in the evidence we found indicates professional blacksmithing. And that is wild, right? This means that human societies in that period, in that region, had reached an advanced enough point where there was specialization and commercialization of labor. Right? <laughs> like, think about that. 900 BCE. And I'm, I'm sure people are thinking, oh, why, why are you amazed, right? And I'm not amazed now. The first time I found out about it, of course, I was amazed. I was like, you don't really hear these things when you're learning history in Nigeria. But it's incredible to think that there was a level of actual, um, what is the word, professionalism. Our societies were advanced enough at that period. And so, so, of course, consider that blacksmithing in this period would be about the same level as a software developer in today's world. I, I feel like, or maybe an investment analyst, right? Blacksmiths were the original tech pros, pretty much. It is, it is a difficult, it is an incredibly difficult skill. It's, it's art and engineering in some sense, like there's a science to it, but there's still the artistry of the blacksmith in creating truly unique work. And so the importance of being able to create tools, art, and jewelry would essentially elevate blacksmithing to a level that nothing else in that period probably would match, right? So again, we can see the complexity of early Nigerian societies. If they were creating guilds to protect not just the quality of their products, but the knowledge used to create those products, right? And this hints at a class system that was already in place that would have preceded that period, right? So if, if the class system didn't precede that period, they probably wouldn't necessarily create guilt. So there was already a class system, right? And they were, try they were trying to maintain their class, so at the necessity of creating guilds point to a need to preserve access to power as blacksmithing would have been the preserve of an elite class and and that cements it right we know we know that there's an elite, an elite class there so david aremu david aremu sorry i'm butchering the names he writes metal craftsmen usually enjoyed prestigious and high status positions in their societies because of the importance of their crafts to the social and economic reproduction of the society. Skilled copper, brass, bronze workers were often associated with the monarchs and the elites that monopolized their products. Blacksmiths were seen as the nerve center of the economic activities like hunting, farming, wood carving, palm wine tapping, medicine, fishing, clothes weaving, and they were considered more important than the farmers, hunters, woodcarvers, and medicine men because they manufactured some of the tools that these professions used. Obviously, we are going to have to deconstruct that at some point in the podcast, but think about that. They were the tool makers. The tool makers at some point were the most important people in society, except the elites and the monarchs, which is very different from how we are now, right? Our tool makers might not have that level of um, respect anymore. 
Uh, but this hints at, his, at, at an incredible system of political and social sophistication, and one can only wonder the possible intellectual thought that could have existed at that time, right? And so the the evidence of the social political sophistication of Nigerian society really begins to emerge as you as you examine the archaeological evidence. So as Tosinfalola points out, the earliest states in the territories encompassing modern-day Nigeria were mostly of a small-scale, decentralized nature. So political structures in these societies were so fragmented that earlier generations of scholars referred to them as stateless societies. But this is misleading, obviously. True statelessness True statelessness implies a lack of political authority and therefore the existence of anarchy, which none of these societies exhibited, right? A better characterization of these societies' political organization would be decentralized in that political hierarchy rarely reached higher than the village or village group level, even though the overarching cultural identity could incorporate many different village groups. All Nigerian societies must have originally functioned as decentralized states, many societies in the Middle Belt and Southern Eastern part of modern-day Nigeria maintained their decentralized state structures long after the development of strong centralized states in other parts of the region. Right. So in, in a sense, the state of anarchy or nature that Hobbes describes in Leviathan, that landmark book, never really existed in any Nigerian societies or anywhere for that, for that matter. At least not in the sense that Hobbes describes. Through evolutionary biology and the archaeological evidence that we know, we know that human beings never really existed on their own. Battling against the elements, we know that they could they simply could not. We simply were not developed or evolved that way. Instead, we lived in small groups that allowed for cooperation and the combined strength allowing for each individual within that group to have a safe-ish fish space. Of course, this does not mean that there was no danger of clashing with other alien groups, which would of course occur. However, the narrative of that single lone human, that's not really something the evidence supports. Of course, Hobbes's Leviathan still has um, philosophical re relevance. And as we discuss political structures of these pre-colonial groups, and as we, even as we examine modern-day Nigerian society, we will draw from many of these philosophical writings, including Awolowo, Ikweme, Hobbes, Tanaka, and so on. Right? Hmm. So, on the next episode of Nigerian History Podcast, we'll begin to discuss many of the ethnic groups that really begin to solidify and form in Nigeria, how they existed, formed, and their many structures. We will also begin to examine the little nuggets of societal life, music, art, religion, and I look forward to discussing the very rich and very diverse societies that exist on the Nigerian History Podcast. And so as Stephen West says, thank you for wanting to know more today than you did yesterday, and I hope you enjoyed the show.